Well, if you have a copy of God's Word, I invite you to turn with me to Luke chapter 1. Luke chapter 1. Years ago, Larry King was asked, of all the people who ever lived, who would you most like to have interviewed? And without hesitation, Larry King said, Jesus Christ. And when he was asked, what would you ask Jesus? Larry King said this. He said, I would ask him if he was indeed virgin born. Because the answer to that question would define history. Last week, we began a new series that we've called Close Encounters. We're, we're taking a close look at four stories uh, that surround the birth of Jesus. Four stories where there is a close encounter, an angelic encounter, an encounter with an angel. Last week, we looked at the story of, of Zechariah and Elizabeth, his wife. And, and they were old. They were advanced in years. Zechariah was a priest. They always had wanted a child, but they had never been able to have one. And while Zechariah was in the temple worshiping God, praying, an angel appeared to him and said that you and Elizabeth are going to have a child. But not only are you going to have a child, he is going to turn the hearts of many back to the Lord, and this child is going to be the forerunner of the promised Messiah. Now, if you were here last week, you know that Zechariah said that can't ever happen. It's just impossible. And so for that duration of the pregnancy, Zechariah was not able to speak, and Elizabeth shouted praises to God. But this morning, I want us to look at Mary's close Encounter. Well, then let me give you a quick synopsis of the story, if I can. Mary was a teenage girl, most likely a, a young teenage girl, and she was a spouse. She was pledged to be married to Joseph. Joseph was her fiancé, and they were engaged. You could call it that in Bible times, but, but an engagement in Bible times was much more serious than it is today. When you were engaged, when you were betrothed, you were legally married. And therefore, if you were going to break off that engagement, that, that pledge, you would have to divorce the person. And so here's Mary. She is engaged to Joseph. They are waiting to be publicly married and to consummate their marriage because they're still living apart. Mary is still a virgin. And one day, an angel appears to her. The angel Gabriel. And as the angel appears to her, the angel says, you are highly favored by God. And as you can imagine, this startles Mary. And you need to put yourself into anyone's place who encounters an angel. It, you would be startled too. And so Mary was startled and the angel said, you are highly favored by God. And then the angel told Mary what he came to tell her. He said, you are going to give birth to a son. You're going to conceive. You're going to give birth to a son, and you're to give him the name Jesus. And Mary said, how? How can this happen? I'm a virgin. And the angel said, the Holy Spirit is going to come upon you. The power of God is going to surround you, and the baby in you is going to be holy. He is going to be the son of the most high God. And, and Mary said this. She basically said, Lord, whatever your desire is, do it. Now, isn't that absolutely amazing? Now, let me tell you a little bit about Mary. Mary was a nobody. 
who lived in a little town, but it wasn't just a little town, it was a despised town. Do you remember Nathaniel, one of the disciples? In John chapter 1, Philip comes to Nathaniel and says, Nathaniel, we have found the one that the prophets were telling us about is Jesus of Nazareth. And here was Nathaniel's reply, Nazareth, can anything good come out of Nazareth? And Samaria was not only from a little town. Some people have called it a small hick town. She was from a despised town. And yet, even though she was a peasant girl from a town with a bad reputation, she becomes the most well-known woman in human history. Now, Now, the truth is, there are a lot of misconceptions when it comes to Mary. There's some people today who make too much of Mary. There are other people today who make too little of Mary. For instance, nowhere in the Bible are we told to worship Mary. And nowhere in the Bible are we told to pray to Mary. Nowhere in the Bible are we told that Mary was perfect or sinless or that she was virgin born or a perpetual virgin. Nowhere are we told that she is the co-mediator or co-redeemer with Jesus Christ. Nowhere are we told that she is God or co-equal with God. You see, Mary is not an object of our faith. Mary is an example of faith. Mary is not to be an object of our worship. She is an example of worship. Mary was an ordinary teenager that God chose to use in an extraordinary way. Now, some of you are going to ask this question, why? Why did God choose to use Mary? And the answer to that question is simple. And the answer is grace. God's grace. If you look in your Bible at verses 28 and 30, you will see the words highly favored and favor. The Greek word there for favor is the word charis, which is the word we get our word grace from. So what this is saying is, Mary, you have received a super dose of God's grace. Mary, you have experienced God's grace. I want you to listen. Don't miss this. This may be the most important thing that you hear this morning. Anything and everything that God does in us and through us. For us and with us is a result of His grace. And you need to understand that. We cannot earn God's favor. We cannot earn God's grace. God pours out. God bestows His grace upon us. And yet, as we read this story, we discover three things in Mary that allowed God to use her and bless her in a way that she could have never imagined. And to be honest with you, these three things that we see in Mary should be found in us as well. And understand, if we want God to use us in the way that He used Mary, then these three things must be found in our life. Now, now, what were those three things? First of all, Mary believed God's Word. Mary believed God's Word. I want you to listen to what happened 
beginning in chapter 1, verse 26. Listen to God's word. In the sixth month, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin, pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, Greetings, you are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. You will be with child and give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High God. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. His kingdom will never end. How will this be, Mary asked the angel, since, since I'm a virgin? The angel answered, the Holy Spirit will come upon you. The power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age. And she who was said to be barren is in her sixth month for nothing is impossible with God. Now put yourself in Mary's shoes. Mary is a young, humble teenage girl who loves God, and all she wants out of life is to be married and raise a family. That's what she wants out of life. She wants to have a husband, and she wants to be a mama. When all of a sudden an angel appears to her, and says, you're going to conceive, you're going to give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, which means God saves, Jehovah saves. Now, let's stop right there. You need to remember, Mary is a virgin. Mary has kept herself sexually pure. She has never had sexual relations with anyone, and the angel is telling her that she is going to have a baby. So I think it's understandable for Mary to ask, how? How can this happen? I'm a virgin. Now understand, there is a big difference between having questions and not believing. I want you to get this. There is a big difference between having questions and not believing. Zechariah did not believe that God could do what God said he was going to do. And because of that, he could not speak until John was born. Understand, not believing God is going to do something is one thing. Having questions about it is quite another. Mary had honest questions. How can this happen? She wasn't doubting. She was simply saying, I don't, I don't understand. And I want you to understand this morning that it's okay to have questions with God. It's okay to be confused about things. As a matter of fact, you need to understand that, that God is big enough to handle any questions you may have. The key is you need to come to Him with those questions. You need to be open and honest to Him with those questions. And that's what Mary did. Mary said, I, I, I don't understand. How can this be? I, I'm a virgin. You know, as, as God called me into ministry and I began to prepare myself and, and I began to get deep into the Word of God, there were many things in this book that I got to tell you, I didn't quite understand. I had, I had some legitimate questions. 
Now, now I never doubted God. I, I never questioned God. But I always said, God, I don't understand. And, and I want you to know that over time, God has answered my questions. Sometimes he has answered my question through pointing me to a scripture. At other times, he has answered my questions through, through godly counsel of, of other pastors who, who knew the word better than I did. And, and get this. There are times that God has even answered my questions through dreams. And you say, that's unusual. Well, I, I don't think biblically it's unusual. And whenever God would answer a question I had through a dream, I would always take that dream and I would test it by what the Word of God said. But understand, God is okay with your questions. God is okay with your confusion. And so when you have legitimate questions, go to God and tell Him. Mary said, I don't understand. Three times we are told in this passage that Mary was a virgin. Three times. She's a virgin. She's a virgin. She's a virgin. So she said, I, I don't understand. How am I going to conceive and give birth to a child? How can this be? And so the angel told her. The angel said, the Holy Spirit's going to come upon you. The power of God is going to overshadow you. And because of that, the baby will be holy from birth. And he will be the son of God. In other words... Before you ever have sexual relations with your husband, Joseph, God is going to do something impossible. God is going to do something miraculous. He is going to, to plant his son into your womb. Now, there are some that tell us that the virgin birth is a fable. It's a fairy tale, that it's an impossibility. And to be honest, there's no way to explain the virgin birth scientifically technologically, empirically, rationally, we can't explain it. But what we do need to understand is what is impossible with man is possible with God because nothing is impossible with God. Someone said that Jesus is the earthly child of a heavenly father and the heavenly child of an earthly mother. Jesus is virgin born. And you need to understand today... That the virgin birth is essential to our faith. It's one of what we call the fundamentals of the faith. In other words, it's vital that you believe, that you hold on to these beliefs. For instance, when, when we talk about the sinless life of Jesus, that's a fundamental of the faith. When we talk about the atoning death of Jesus, that is a fundamental of the faith, when we talk about the bodily, the physical, the literal resurrection of Jesus from the dead, that is a fundamental of the faith. And when we talk about the virgin birth, that is a fundamental of the faith. Now, why is the virgin birth so important? Let me give you two reasons. First of all, because the Bible teaches us. The Bible teaches us the, the virgin birth. There are some who look at the Bible in the same way they look at food in a cafeteria line. We go through the line and we pick and choose what we like, what we have a taste for. And then there are other things that we don't like, we don't have a taste for. And so we, we don't order that. And when it comes to the Bible, we go, well, I like this. I like, I, I want a big dose of mercy. 
but I, I don't like this dose of sin. I, I'm going I'm to remove that. And that's what a lot of us do. But we can't view the Bible that way. You see, we either accept it as God's Word uh, or simply assume that it is a well-written narrative about someone's view of God. We can't have it both ways. Either the Bible is God's Word or it's not. Now, here's what the Bible teaches us about the virgin birth. From the very beginning of God's Word, we are told about the coming of Jesus, and we're told that His birth would be unique. In Genesis, the first book of the Bible, the third chapter of the Bible, we are told the seed of the woman will crush the head of the serpent. Now, to understand that word seed is used over 300 times in the Scripture. It always refers to a man. And yet here... It's referring to the seed of a woman, something unique, something different, something special. You see, God is so loving, God is so full of grace that immediately after Adam and Eve chose to rebel against Him, chose to sin against Him, which resulted in separation, God promised a solution. In Genesis chapter 3, we see the first promise and the first prophecy in Scripture. From the moment that sin entered the world, we are told that there would be a -a one-of-a-kind birth that would deal with that sin. Then we came to the the age of the prophets. And one of those prophets was Isaiah. And Isaiah lived 700 years before Jesus was ever born. And Isaiah said this. He said, a virgin will conceive and bear a son. 700 years before Jesus was ever born, it was prophesied that a child would be born to a virgin. And then later, in chapter 9 of Isaiah, Isaiah said, and he will be a wonderful counselor. He will be the mighty God. He will be the everlasting Father. He will be the Prince of Peace. In other words, the child that is born to that virgin will be God in the flesh. And then both Matthew and Luke are very clear on how Jesus was born. Understand, if the virgin birth is not true, then Scripture is unreliable. And so how can we believe it when it speaks about forgiveness? How can we believe it when it speaks about heaven? How can we believe it when it speaks about anything else? If it's not reliable when it speaks about the virgin birth. Now the Bible never tries to prove the virgin birth. Any more than it tries to prove the creation of the world. It just presents it. And you either accept it or you reject it. But the virgin birth is not only essential because the Bible teaches it. The virgin birth is essential because sin necessitates it. You see, the virgin birth and your belief in it is the difference between an eternity in heaven and hell. If Jesus were not born of a virgin, if Jesus had a human father, then he inherited that sinful nature and he would need a savior as much as we do. If he were not virgin born, he could not have been perfect. And if Jesus were not perfect, he could not have been the perfect sacrifice for our sins. If he were not the sacrifice for our sins, then you and I are destined to spend eternity in hell. 
You see, our eternal destiny is just as dependent on Jesus' birth as it is Jesus' death and Jesus' resurrection. A person can be saved with, without knowing about the virgin birth. A person can be saved without understanding the virgin birth. But it is impossible, hear me, I believe, to be saved and deny the virgin birth. There was a man who was preaching on the virgin birth. And after the service, a skeptic came up to him and said, I don't believe that story. And I don't believe you believe it either. The pastor said, you're mistaken. I believe in the virgin birth. And then the man said this. Suppose a young woman about six months pregnant came walking into your office. And she said to you, I'm expecting a baby. This is my boyfriend, the only man I've ever dated. And he's never laid a hand on me. I've never had sex. I was told that the baby I'm going to have was conceived by the Holy Spirit. Would you believe her? The man asked the pastor that. He was sure the pastor would say no, but his, to his surprise, the pastor said, yes, I believe it. And then after a dramatic pause, he said, I would believe it if that birth had been foretold by prophets thousands of years before the baby was conceived. I would believe it if an angel visited her boyfriend and said, don't be afraid to take this woman as your husband because the baby in her is from the Holy Spirit. I would believe her if when the baby was born, wise men traveled from distant lands, guided by a star to bring gifts before him and worship him. I would believe it if the baby that she had had the power over the wind and the waves and over death and disease. I would believe it if the baby that she had died on the cross and three days later was raised from the death. I would believe it if that baby went to a mountaintop and ascended up into heaven and an angel said, this same Jesus which has gone up into heaven will return in like manner. I would believe it. And let me tell you, I believe it too. Because the evidence is found in God's Word. Now look down at chapter 1, verse 45. Mary has now gone to visit her cousin Elizabeth. And Elizabeth says this to Mary. You were blessed because you believed that the Lord would do what he said. You see, Mary believed the impossible simply because God said it. And here's what I know. If God is ever going to use you in a powerful way, you must believe God's Word. You must believe what God said. So do you believe God's Word? Second thing we see about Mary is this. Mary surrendered to God's will. Notice what it says in verse 38. Mary said, I am the Lord's servant, and I am willing to do whatever He wants. Now, the message translation says it this way. And Mary said, yes, I see it all now. I am the Lord's maid ready to serve. Here's what I've come to understand. It's one thing to believe God's word, but it's another thing to surrender to God's will. But we need to understand that God's word is not just to be believed. It is to be obeyed and to be honest our churches today are filled with people who say that they believe the Bible, God's Word. And yet they don't live surrendered lives 
to what the Bible says. Now, sometimes we don't surrender to God's word and God's will because of sin, because of selfish desires. The way that we're living is in contradiction to what the word says. And instead of surrendering to God's will, we surrender to our sin and our selfish desires. There are other times that we don't surrender out of fear. But the truth is, the truth is, before our, our beliefs will ever accomplish the impossible, our belief has to be transformed into surrender. And, and notice that word in verse 38, the word whatever. That word whatever includes anything and everything. Anything and everything. Some of you will know the name B.B. McKinney. B.B. McKinney was a Baptist songwriter. And in January 1936, he was leading the, me- the music at a meeting in Alabama. And the speaker was R.S. Jones, one of McKinney's friends for many years. And, and um, Jones had to leave the missionary field in Brazil to come home because of a sickness. And he and McKinney were eating supper one of those evenings. And as they were talking, Jones told him that his doctor would not allow him to go back to South America because of this illness. And so McKinney said, what are your plans? And Jones said, wherever he leads. And that night, B.B. McKinney could not get those words out of his mind. And he sat down and he wrote the words and he wrote the music to that song, wherever he leads, I'll go. I want you to listen to two of the verses of that song. Take up thy cross and follow me, I heard my master say. I gave my life to ransom thee. Surrender your all today. My heart, my life, my all I bring to Christ who loves me so. He is my master, my Lord, my king. Wherever he leads, I'll go. Wherever he leads, I'll go. Wherever he leads, I'll go. I'll follow my Christ who loves me so. Wherever he leads, I'll go. Wherever. Whatever. Includes anywhere. It includes anything. Even the unpleasant, the difficult, the hard, and the painful. It's not easy to surrender to God's will. But we will never be used mightily by God until our belief turns into surrender. When Mary said, whatever your will is, she was opening up herself to ridicule, scorn, gossip for the rest of her life. She was risking her relationship with her parents, her fiancé, her friends, because she did not know how any of them were going to react. She had to experience the pain of seeing her son suffer and die in a horrendous way. When you surrender to God's will, you're not always going to understand and it's not always going to be easy. There are going to be some who turn on you. There are going to be many who don't understand you. When Steve and I were in in Egypt several months ago, we had the opportunity to visit the grave of William Borden. In Cairo. Borden was born into a life of affluence, the heir of a large fortune. And when he graduated from high school, his parents gave him a trip around the world. 
And on that trip around the world, his heart was broken by the hurting and the lost people around the world. And when he came home from that trip as a 16-year-old young man, he was committed to the missionary field. One of his friends tried to talk him out of it and said, you'd be foolish to go on the missionary field when you've got all of this ahead of you. And, and he decided he was going to go anyway. And he wrote in his Bible after that, no reserves. He went on to Yale University preparing himself for what he believed that God had called him to do. And when he graduated, his father offered him a job in his company, the heir to the fortune. He turned it down and, and said, God's called me to the missionary field. His father said, if you go, you will never be able to work for this company. A after that, he wrote in his Bible, no retreats. He went on to Cairo to begin to study Aramaic because he felt like he was called to go and reach Muslims who lived in China. And after only a short time, several months of being in Cairo, he caught spinal meningitis. And within a month, he died. But before he died, he wrote in his Bible, no regrets. No reserves, no retreats, no regrets. Here was a man who had a fortune to look forward to. And he gave all of it up because he knew that God had something bigger and something better for him. And even though, even though he was never able to go to China, even though he never made it any further than just language training, his life has had an incredible impact on thousands and thousands and thousands of people who have discovered that it's not just believing what God says, but it's surrendering to His will. So what about it? Do you believe God's Word? Are you going to surrender to God's will? But there's a third thing we see here in this story, and that is Mary worshipped God her Savior. After Mary's close encounter with the angel Gabriel, she went to visit her cousin Elizabeth, whom Gabriel had told her was pregnant with John the Baptist, and she stayed with Mary for three months. And notice what she said in verses 46 and 47. Mary said, Oh, how my soul praises the Lord. How my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. Now, the rest of what you read, through verse 55, is the first Christmas song ever written. It's amazing. Because here is Mary. She's going to have a baby, although she's never slept with a man. Her reputation is going to be ruined. She may lose her family. She may lose her friends. She may lose her fiancé. She may lose everything. She has every reason to be worried and sick. But instead of worry, she worships. Instead of panic, she praised. So how do we get to that point? How do we get to that point where in the midst of the difficulties and the storms life throws our way, we can worship God, we can praise Him in spite of what's going on around us. In spite of what happens in us, in spite of what happens to us. Look Back at verse 47, my heart rejoices in God, 
my Savior. Listen to what Mary said about God in verse 50. His mercy extends to all who fear him. Look at verse 52. He lifts up the humble. In other words, as as Mary is singing this song of praise to God, she says, God is my Savior. And he will extend mercy to anyone who fears him. He will forgive and lift up anyone who is humble before him. In other words, when we humble ourselves before God, asking for his mercy and his grace, he reaches down out of heaven and he becomes our Savior. Have you ever wondered why Jesus came to earth? I mean, why he left the comforts of heaven to be born in a stable? Why he gave up a throne room to work in a carpenter's shop? Why he he left the worship of the heavenly host to experience the ridicule of the religious of his day? The answer is simple, and Mary understood it. He came to earth to be our Savior. You see, if our greatest need was financial, God would have sent us an economist. If our greatest need was relational, God would have sent us a counselor. If our greatest need was education, God would have sent us a teacher. But none of those are our greatest need. Our greatest need is salvation. So God sent us a Savior. Jesus' mission from the moment he was born to the moment he died was to save us from our sins. I read a story several years ago about a man named Edwin Rushworth. Rushworth had been a skeptic all of his life, but he resolved that he was going to read the book that he did not believe for an hour a day. He had derided the book all of his life, but he had never read it. And so he determined, I'm going to read the Bible. And after he had read the book for a week, he said to his wife, Wife, if this book is right, we're all wrong. He read the Bible for another week and At the end of that week, he said, wife, if this book is right, we're all lost. He read the book for another week, and after reading, he said, wife, if this book is right, we may be saved. And they were. Let me tell you, the Jesus that this Bible tells us about came to seek and to save the lost. He was born of a virgin. He lived a perfect life. He died on the cross as a substitute for our sins. He rose from the grave on the third day, defeating sin and death. And all, regardless of who we are, what we've done, all who humble themselves and call upon him for mercy and accept him as their Savior can be saved. Now, where are you? I can remember as if it were yesterday, the day that Jesus became real to me. I didn't understand it all. And to be honest with you, I didn't have a whole lot of questions because I just didn't know a lot at that point in time. I just knew I needed a Savior. I was a sinner. And Jesus was going to be my Savior. And He changed my life. Not perfect. I'm not sinless. I still mess up. I still blow it. But I have a Savior who loves me unconditionally. And He loves you unconditionally. 
That's what Christmas is all about. And if you're here and you've never received the Savior, oh, you need to do that. Religion isn't going to change your life. Turning over a new leaf isn't going to really change your life. The only thing that can change your life is an encounter with the Savior who came to this earth to seek and save the lost. Humble yourself. Acknowledge your sin. Receive his gift of salvation. Let him transform you and make you brand new. I want you to bow your head with me. With your head bowed and with your eyes closed, if you're here, you've never prayed to receive Christ or you've never really meant it, then I want to encourage you right here, right now, to humble yourself before God and ask him to be your Savior. You, you can do it by praying this simple prayer. Dear God, forgive me. I'm a sinner. I've lived life my way. I'm so sorry. I believe that Jesus came to this earth to pay for my sin. I believe that Jesus died in my place. I believe he rose from the grave defeating sin for me. Right now, I'm asking Jesus to save me. Come into my life. Take control. Fill me with your Holy Spirit, I pray. Amen.